Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. If you prefer to watch the podcast instead, head over to our Colts to Consciousness YouTube channel for the full experience. Hey everyone, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions or organizations and finding healing through independence and awareness and finding our true individual sovereignty. So, welcome to episode one. I'm so excited that you guys are here with me right now. Uh, We have a lot to cover. So, in this episode, we're going to be talking about, first of all, what is a cult? We've all heard the word. (laughs) It's thrown around all the time. Um, But we're going to do a really deep dive into an actual definition. Um, Then I'm going to talk about my story growing up as a Mormon or part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and how that affected me and how it affects me now and how I've been able to find my own awareness, my own identity, and essentially become conscious. Um, And then, of course, what I would love and expect for this podcast moving forward. So let's get started. I will right out the gate say that I am not an expert, so I will be consulting many experts on this show. And the first expert that I'm going to be pulling information from is Dr. Stephen Hassan. And he is the one who who has developed the BITE model. And it's a well-known, essentially, deep definition of what a cult is and how you can see if you are involved in one. Remember, it doesn't always have to be religious. It can be any type of group or corporation that um, exhibits these type of things. So I'm going to read right off my computer to make sure that I get all of this information correct. This is from freedomofmind.com. So, the BITE model. Uh, We'll start with the letter B. B stands for behavior control. And here are a few things that um, are included in behavior control. Regulating an individual's physical reality. When, how, and with whom the member has sex. Ding, ding, ding! There's Mormonism. (laughs) Uh, Control types of clothing and hairstyles, yes, that too. Regulating diet, including food and drink, hunger and or fasting. Financial exploitation, manipulation or dependence. Restricting leisure, entertainment, vacation time. Um, The majority of time is spent with the group indoctrination and doing rituals and or self-indoctrination. Permission is required for major decisions, rewards and punishments used to modify behaviors, both positive and negative, discouraging individualism, and encouraging groupthink. Ah, yes, that's a good one. Imposing rigid rules and regulations, instill dependency and obedience. So, all of those <laughs> are things that I've experienced um, growing up in the Mormon church, but let's keep going. Information control is what the I stands for. So this could be deception, deliberately withholding information, 
distorting information to make it more acceptable, um, minimizing or discouraging access to non-cult sources of information, including internet, TV, radio, books, articles, newspaper, magazines, and media. Keeping the members busy so they don't have time to investigate. Uh, compartmentalize information into outsider versus insider doctrines. Report deviant thoughts, feelings, and actions to leadership. Ensure that individual behavior is monitored by the group. Extensive, extensive use of cult-generated information and propaganda, including their own newsletters, magazines, journals, audio tapes, videotapes, YouTube movies, and other media. Misquoting statements or using them out of context from non-cult sources. Unethical use of confession. Oh, I got a good one. Good story for that. <laughs> All right, the next one is going to be thought control, what the T stands for. Requiring members to internalize the group's doctrine as truth. Instill black and white thinking, good versus evil, us versus them mentality. Change a person's name and identity. Um, I hear you get a new name in the temple. I never made it that far because I was unworthy. <laughs> Encourage only good and proper thoughts. Teaching thought-stopping techniques which shut down reality. This will end in denial, rash rationalization, justification, wishful thinking. Uh, it could be chanting, meditating, meditating, praying, speaking in tongues, singing or humming. Rejection of rational analysis, critical thinking, constructive criticism. Forbid critical questions about the leader's doctrine or policy. Labeling alternative belief systems as illegitimate, evil, or not useful. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I remember hearing that one a lot. The last one is the E, which stands for emotional control. Manipulate and narrow the range of feelings. Some emotions and or needs are deemed as evil, wrong, or selfish. Make the person feel that problems are always their own fault, never the leader's or group's fault. Promote feelings of guilt or unworthiness. Ah, yes, the guilt. Such as identity guilt or you are not living up to your full potential. Um, fear of thinking independently, uh, fear of the outside world or enemies or lo losing one's salvation, fear of leaving or being shunned by the group, yes, that is a very real thing, and uh, fear of others' disapproval, extremes of emotional highs and lows, love bombing and praise one moment and then declaring you are a horrible sinner the next, ritualistic and sometimes public confession of sins, Phobia indoctrination, including irrational fears about leaving the group or questioning the leader's authority. No happiness or fulfillment is possible outside of the group. Yes, I um, definitely suffered from that one, being afraid of what would happen if I left. And terrible consequences if you leave. Shunning of those who leave. Fear of being rejected by friends and family. Unfortunately, that happens a lot in Mormonism. Uh, never a legitimate reason to leave. Those who leave are weak, undisciplined, unspiritual, worldly, brainwashed by family or a counselor, 
or seduced by money and sex. So familiar. Um, <laughs> so, uh, oh, two quick things that I go over before I continue with my story. So this is also coming directly from the website. Destructive mind control can be determined when the overall effect of these four components promotes dependency and obedience to some leader or cause. It is not necessary for every single item on the list to be present. Like many techniques, it's not inherently good or evil. If mind control techniques are used to empower an individual to have more choice and authority for their life, the effects can be beneficial. For example, benevolent mind control can be used to help people quit smoking uh, without affecting any other behavior. Mind control becomes destructive when it undermines a person's ability to think and act independently. I think that is the key, thinking and acting independently. So I remember, uh, and I'll get into this in my story a little bit later too, but People would say Mormonism was a cult, and when I was involved with it, I was like, no, it's not. Cults are for, like, animal sacrifices and devil worshiping, and I had no idea that being part of a cult meant that I could just be part of a high-demand religion um, with all of these things that were listed. When I, when I first read the Bite model, my jaw was just on the floor. It took me a long time to be like, wow, I actually was in a cult. I mean, by definition. (laughs) So that's one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is to bring awareness to those high demand groups that are taking away people's sovereignty and their individual freedoms and basically forcing them into a lifestyle that is not something that they wanted initially or something that's healthy. Um, So the second half of this podcast is learning how to become conscious. And as I said, I'm not an expert, but I will be bringing on some experts. So let's keep going. Um, My story. So yes, I grew up Mormon. I've said it a few times now. And I grew up in Utah in a very small town where everyone was Mormon. So no one asked any questions. Uh, We all just went along our lives and followed all the rules, or at least tried to, or felt really guilty if we didn't. Um, I remember my first kiss being ashamed at 12, my first sexual sin, because I, I pecked a boy on the lips and that wasn't allowed. So I was baseline happy. Everything seemed like it was okay, but I didn't realize how much I was suffering until later in life. Now that I'm going back and peeling back all of those layers, So I moved out of Utah for my senior year of high school. Uh, I moved to Portland with my family. And I learned really quickly that Mormonism is not a normal thing, (laughs) like I thought that it was. I was taken out of that bubble, which is very present in Utah. If you've been, you, you understand what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, I was getting these crazy questions that I didn't know the answer to. And honestly, I just thought people were out of their mind. Some of them were a little crazy, like, do you have horns? I have no idea where that came from. Uh, But people have legitimately asked that question. (laughs) No, we don't have horns. Um, The most common, of course, was how many moms do you have? And I would just get so angry. And I would say, no, we stopped practicing polygamy like 
a hundred years ago, okay? I only have one mom, and you're only allowed to get married to one person. Uh, meanwhile, the scriptures still definitely say that polygamy is required to get into heaven, and Mormons still believe in practicing polygamy in heaven. But I just, I shoved that aside, and I would get mad at people. I was like, those are the fundamentalist Mormons. It's not us. It's not the real ones, you know? Um, so I was able to push it aside for a while, until one of my best friends cornered me in the car. She sits me down and she has this notebook and she gets it out and she goes, Shalice, I've been doing some research. And I look over at her notebook and it is just full of notes. And she goes, I went to the library and I researched Mormonism and it's not good. You need to get out of there. And I'm like, girl, what are you talking about? And she goes on and says, Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon by putting his head into a hat and and you worship Joseph Smith, and 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 Mormons are basically just Freemasons. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? And I was just shutting her down at every turn. And I was like, listen, none of this is true. Because if it was, I would know. Because I'm Mormon. And you just did some research, and you probably just found some ex-Mormon propaganda. Someone who was just trying to bring down the church. And she was really upset, and she just looked at me and said, if you don't worship God the right way, you're going to go to hell. And I could tell that she was really earnest and honest in wanting to save my soul. But I was just laughing inside. I was like, if she only knew that I was the one that had the right answers. I belong to the one true church on the planet, not her. She invited me to church and I went and it was basically a concert for Jesus, which I was like, holy crap, this is wild. (laughs) Going from a church where you're not even allowed to clap after a stunning musical number by someone in the congregation to full on chanting and dancing and rock bands and projectors. It was an experience. Um, Needless to say, I was like, you know what? This is the true church and I'm going to prove it to her. So I went home. And I got on my computer, and I did all the research, and I was just scouring the internet. Like, the church is true, it'll be easy to prove. And the thing is, all of those weird, wacky things that she was telling me, that's what I was finding. Like, the head in the hat thing, and I was like, what? That can't be right, but multiple sources were telling me that it was true. And I just put it aside, I was like, it's fine. And then I found one piece of information that was truly disturbing to me. And it basically said that when you go through the temple, you have to pretend to slit your throat with your hand going across your neck and cut out your bowels with the same motion if you were to tell what goes on in the temple. And that scared me a little bit. I was like, hmm this doesn't sound like the Mormonism that I know. So I call my mom over. I was like, mom, you have to see this. Like, look what this weird, like devil worshiping website is saying about Mormonism. And I, I read it to her and I said, this isn't true, right? And I look up at her and she looks down at me, eyes wide, like she just saw a ghost. And I'm laughing and I'm going, this isn't true, right? And I realize in that moment that she, if it is true, then she had made the promise that she would slit her throat and cut out her bowels if she ever 
told anyone that it was true. But I needed to know. And thankfully, I have a great mom who looked at me and said, well, we don't do that anymore. My heart sunk. I felt like I was just told I was adopted. Like I was lied to. And she said, don't worry. It's it's not like that anymore. And those were just symbols and and it's okay everything uh the temple's a beautiful place i hadn't been yet because i wasn't old enough to go so i kind of just i wasn't ready for my whole world to collapse quite yet so i just set it aside for a while i definitely didn't go back and tell my friend that she was right about all the things that she had found Uh, i wasn't brave enough to do that um little a little prideful i guess you could say so (laughs) i continue on set it on the shelf i moved to las vegas to go to school and i went there for fashion design and i remember my bishop saying oh finally we can have a valiant saint who's a fashion designer who can make modest clothing and i was like modest clothing (laughs) like who said i'm gonna do that That was the one thing that I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to have sex. I'm not going to drink coffee, but I'm going to wear a tank top and shorts. That was like the one rule. I'm like, I'm not hurting anyone by showing my shoulders. Uh, (laughs) So especially in Vegas, it was so hot. So I, I get to Vegas and pretty quickly I... I get really, really deep into the singles ward. I know it sounds like an insane asylum or something, calling it a ward, but it's essentially a congregation full of young single adults ages 18 to 30. And when you hit 30 is when they kick you out. If you're not married by 30, you have to go to the family ward, and it is just the most embarrassing thing on the planet. You do not want to be approaching 30 and still be single. Everyone feels bad for those people. And so I was like, I'm just going to find a husband and get out of here as soon as possible so I don't have to go through that embarrassment. Um, and that was the goal. They purposely pair the single adults together so that we get married young. Um, typically, Mormons get married, or righteous, uh, valiant Mormons get married when they're 19, the women, uh, 19 or 20. And for men, it's generally... 21 or 22 because that's when they get home from their mission which they leave to go on when they're 18 so i was 19 going on 20 uh and i had found this guy who i was just in love with we had been together for a year actually and i was convinced this is it i did the thing i found a husband i'm still a virgin i am going to have like a righteous Mormon family. I'm checking all the boxes so that I can get into the highest level of heaven. There's levels. It's not just heaven and hell. There's the the highest level and then there's levels within that level. And to get to the highest one, you have to get married in the temple. And to get married in the temple, you have to be worthy. The big W word, worthy. (sighs) So, as, as you could imagine, Uh, after being in a relationship, a committed relationship for a year, we broke the law of chastity. Oh no. (laughs) Um, Still a virgin, by the way, but messing around is not allowed either. Uh, You're not even allowed to 
self-explore. So I was completely disconnected from my body. Uh, I'm not allowed to figure out what I like on my own. That's against the rules. And I'm not allowed to let someone else try and figure out what I like. That's also against the rules. Um, And I was very disconnected from my intuition as well. uh, Because I was told that someone else has all the answers. Whether it's God or a bishop or a prophet, it's not me. So anytime I have a question, I have to ask someone else for the answer. So we slip up and immediately he says, we have to go repent. And I thought, okay, well, I guess if I want to be a good Mormon girl, I have to do it. So I go into the bishop's office and I was just mortified. The thing about confessing as a Mormon is you sit in a room alone with a middle-aged man. They're usually like mid-40s, late-40s, and you have to describe your sexual sins to them, among other sins, any sin. And they call it a worthiness interview. And... The thing about this is it depends on who you get. So some bishops will be like, you know what, it's fine, slap on the wrist, don't do it again. Other bishops are not so kind. Other bishops ask for way too many details. And it's extremely uncomfortable, as you can imagine. So here I am, 19, and I I tell my bishop, red in the face, what I did tears streaming down I but I got it off my chest and he says to me thank you for telling me um that'll be a year without going to the temple and I was so upset I said a year but that's the punishment for having sex and he said we did have sex and I said no oral sex is not intercourse and he said yeah but it's still sex and according to Mormonism Sexual sin is a sin next to murder. So I was very upset. And I said, well, it's only a sin next to murder because you're messing with procreation. And I was doing nothing of the sort. And he said, unfortunately, it's still the same. So <laughs> I I lost my mind. Uh, he told me that I was unworthy. He told me that I wasn't spiritual enough. Uh, started probing questions into my life, like, how do you think we got here, Shalise? Um, Are there any other rules that you're struggling to obey? And then immediately I thought about my job at Hard Rock Hotel. I was a, a food runner at the time, or maybe it was a lifeguard at the time. Either way, I was wearing a, a very small bikini, and I worked on Sundays, which was against the rules. And I told him, I was like, I, I work on Sundays, but you see me, I come to, to church. I I finish as fast as I can, and I change my clothes on the way over, and I make it to the last hour of church, because that's how much church means to me. And he said, well, I think it might be time that you find another job, because I think this is affecting you, and I think that you're not being a good influence on your boyfriend. And I think something needs to change. I left that office feeling so small. I felt like I was dirt. I was below dirt. I was not worthy to have this boyfriend whom I loved. Um, 
I was hurting his salvation. I was hurting my salvation. Um, I felt so low. I just wanted to curl up into a ball and die. And when I got home that day, after calling my mom and I think I called my brothers and maybe a couple friends who all tried to talk me off the ledge and be like, what do you mean? You're the most spiritual person that I know. Um, (laughs) I didn't believe them. I didn't believe anything that they said because someone in authority in the church told me otherwise. And so I got home and I just remember thinking, what if this church isn't true? What if I'm going through all of this pain and suffering for no reason? What if I don't have to feel this way? And in that moment, I had this glimmer of hope. And I remembered all that research that I had done a year or two before. So I go back to my computer, back to the World Wide Web, (laughs) and I start searching. And this time, I'm open. I'm ready to receive all these grimy, dirty answers. I need to know for a fact that this is the one true church on the planet. I need to know. What I found was devastating. I found way more than I had bargained for. I I was probably online for six hours straight till the sun came up and I was still typing away. I was printing, highlighting, (laughs) making notes. Um, You know, I'm a straight A student, so I I made a binder. I put all this information in there and I, I took it to the second counselor who was the one below the bishop because it was done with the bishop. And I said... Uh, I need your help. I found all of this information. And I need you to tell me that it's not true. And I need you to answer all of these questions for me. And he looked at me and he smiled warmly. And he was so genuine. I loved this guy. He just said, you know what? Sometimes we just need to have faith. But it was what he didn't say that was more striking. He was a lawyer. He was a brilliant man. And I, I knew... He knew something. He just couldn't tell me. So I had the feeling that maybe he had done the same type of digging and and found all these answers, but wasn't ready to let go of Mormonism just yet and wasn't ready to tell me that what I found was true because he didn't want to be responsible for my salvation. Anyway, I didn't get the answers that I was looking for, and I said, you know what? I'm out. I'm not going to do this anymore. When I hit rock bottom, I realized I had been playing a Jenga game my whole life. Little bits of the doctrine that I didn't like, polygamy in heaven, pull a piece out, um, race in the priesthood, blacks not being able to get the priesthood until the 70s, pull that block out. Um, The fact that it's the one true church on the planet And somehow I was lucky enough to be born into it. What about the people who die before they can ever get the gospel? And what if we can't baptize them in time? Because we do baptisms for the dead. I think it's the only church that baptizes dead people. (laughs) Uh, Pull a block out. But with all this research, it was the foundation of the Jenga puzzle. That entire few, what, like eight, nine blocks at the bottom there, 
just wiped out and everything came tumbling down. Um, learning about scripture that Joseph Smith had translated that we can now actually translate. It was an Egyptian papyri. All of that was BS. He actually just made it up because we have the script and we know what it says and nothing what he said. And once I read that, I thought, well, geez, if he can make that up, he can make it all up. (laughs) So the foundation just collapsed for me. And the hard part about that is when you leave Mormonism, it's not like you're just leaving church on Sundays. Or it's not like you're just stopping going to church on Sundays. It's an entire identity collapse because your thoughts, beliefs, emotions, behaviors, let's go through the bite model, everything is wrapped up in Mormonism. And you have to try and figure out who am I without all these program beliefs? Who am I without this moral compass that I grew up with? What, what are my morals? Do I even believe in God anymore? Is there a God? Is Jesus real? And you really have to analyze everything. So where I went from there was into the ghost side, the spirit world. Um, I don't know if I even called myself spiritual because I don't think I really knew the meaning of that word, but I liked spirits. (laughs) I always had ghost stories growing up. I was like the resident ghost storyteller. And so I was always like talking to dead people, I guess you could say. (laughs) And that was actually something that wasn't, uh, wasn't accepted in Mormonism. They told us to stay away from ghosts because those are like, it's like playing with the devil, basically. And that's one rule I didn't really pay attention to. I was like, yeah, demons are real, but I'm still going to talk to ghosts. (laughs) So now that that was no longer a rule, I was like, let's dive in. So I started reading all these books by James Von Prague, um, any type of medium that I could get my hands on. And it was so exciting learning about spirit guides and different dimensions And finally, it felt like something that resonated. And it was fun because I got to decide what I liked and what I didn't like. I could take something that made sense and I could leave the rest. And it was so empowering to not only follow my intuition, but play. To just follow my excitement and see where it led me. And also to reclaim my body. Because as I mentioned before, I was completely disconnected from what I needed, what my body needed. And I was so stuck in this mold of toxic perfectionism. Because women are told that you have to be perfect. um, Or that you're never going to be perfect to strive for perfection at all times. And men are told that the more righteous they are, the hotter their wife will be. So that gets back to us women and we think, oh... In order to get the most righteous man, I need to be the hottest woman. It's a very toxic circle. So I never really saw myself as a vessel that I could love. It was just how do I fix this thing that I'm in to make it more beautiful, to make it more appealing. Um, I ended up getting implants, breast implants, and they made me very sick and just 
about a year ago, I ended up taking them out. And that has been such a transformation too. Just really learning to love my body, love myself has been huge. So I started reconnecting these pieces that were missing and, and exploring my sexuality and exploring things that I liked, things that I didn't like. Um, <laughs> finally trying to find a boyfriend and, and judging him based on his qualities and not his religious background. <laughs> I remember telling my mom that I wanted to go to BYU because how else could I find a hot Mormon boy to marry? so glad that didn't happen. Um, So I'm in California. I'm working on being an actress. I am trying to go to auditions and figure the whole acting thing out, which is extremely difficult, while still being judged by my body. So I'm, I'm going from being told I'm not good enough in my body with Mormonism to being told my body's not good enough in the entertainment industry. Uh, yeah, it was pretty rough. And but I'm having fun. I'm doing all these things. And cut to about eight years later, um, I really start getting involved in energy work. And I find this holistic doctor who's a kinesiologist, and she does muscle testing to figure out what minerals your body's lacking or if there's anything that's blocking your, um, your organs from working at their full potential. And one day she said, you know, I do emotional clearing too because emotions carry a vibration and we know that our bodies are energy and we're all frequencies and emotions can get trapped just like physical things. And uh, the funny thing, how she got me was she said, you know, when I did this, a whole bunch of cellulite on my legs just came off. I think it was like trapped emotions. And I was like, sold. Sign me up. Where do I get this emotional clearing and when can we do it? (laughs) So I get on the table and and she says, through uh, yes or no questions, she tries to press my arm down and, and that's how she knows what the answer to the question is. So she says, I'm getting that you put up a heart wall, which is like an energetic block around your wall, around your heart, um, to protect it. And I'm getting that it happened when you were eight. So why don't we release that energy? And she goes, do you know what happened? Something traumatic that happened to you when you were eight? And I was like, "Mm, nothing's coming to mind. And the more I thought about it, the more I couldn't really think of any memories from that age. And she said, well, we don't have to figure it out, but if you want to, we can, we can dive in. And I said, I want to dive in. <laughs> so she keeps prodding, keeps pushing, and and in that moment, I, I remembered all of these nightmares that I had been having for like seven, eight years before that. Um, they started when I went off to college. And it was... Uh, I had these horrible nightmares of this person who I really loved, and they would come after me, and they would chase me, with the intent of molesting me and killing me. Really, really dark stuff. And I would wake up in tears, just sobbing of, why am I having these dreams about this person that I love that's really close to me? And so I remember those dreams, and I said to her, you don't think I could have blocked something out, do you? Like, do you think there's a memory that I'm I'm just not being, I, I just can't recall? 
And she said, well, let's see. So I, I gave her the name of the person and she asked my body and the answer was yes. Something did happen. And I didn't really know how to react to this. I mean, I went into lose some cellulite, not come out of there with a lot of trauma and baggage. And she said, look, you again, you don't have to dive into this, but if you want to learn what happened, that's up to you. I decide I need to know. So I found a regression hypnotherapist and... I went in there expecting to find one traumatic instance when I was eight, and I came out with about five traumatic experiences from when I was eight all the way back to infancy. Uh, (laughs) That's when I hit another rock bottom, and I was devastated for a second time. I was let down by this person who was supposed to protect me, and um, it was extremely difficult. But I said to myself, you know what? I'm fine. I can handle this. I'm going to put this trauma way in the corner over there, and I'm just going to hang out over here. (laughs) We can just pretend like none of this ever happened. I ended up booking a bunch of commercials. I was at the top of my game uh, career-wise, And then I said, all right, about a year later, it's time to figure this out. I need some healing. This is still deeply affecting me. So uh, one day, I was going through my submissions, uh, my actor submissions, where they post casting calls. And I saw one casting call for someone who wanted two people to go on a retreat to Peru. And they needed to enjoy meditation and sound baths and yoga, and I was like, what? That is right up my alley. That's exactly what I need. So I submit to it, and I'm like, this is why I'm perfect. Didn't hear back. And then another day, uh, maybe a week later or so, I turn on Gaia, which is like a Netflix for all things spiritual. Incredibly interesting uh, streaming service. I highly recommend. Spelled G-A-I-A. I'll put a link. So I decided, all right, I'm going to watch Gaia. And the show pops up called Psychedelica. And they were diving into a bunch of psychedelics. And my Mormon, ex-Mormon brain said, "Uh, nope, we don't do drugs. Remember, drugs are bad and they're of Satan. And if you take them once, you'll die or become addicted and become a mass murderer. And, And then I realized, oh my gosh, that's not what I think. That's a programmed belief. No harm in watching. So I turned it on. And there's, um, there's an episode on ayahuasca. And I was like, what is this ayahuasca? I've been hearing about it in my circles the past month. And I'm like, what is everyone talking about? So I watch it and I'm just blown away at this medicine. They call it a plant medicine that is, um, it's in the jungle in Peru. And this medicine can help unravel traumas and it can get into the deepest parts of your soul and help you purge these emotions and these dark feelings and and help you confront your past and help you move forward and i was like what i need this medicine according to this documentary this medicine had been used or has been used since before written language in that area in the amazon jungle 
and I was just so fascinated. And in that moment, I remembered, hey, what happened to that um, that casting call that was going to Peru? So I look it up, and it was closed. So they already held auditions. I missed it. I didn't get the audition. And I was like, man. So just for the fun of it, I started typing in keywords from the casting. One of them was Arcana. Type it in. Guess what pulls up on my computer? An ayahuasca retreat center. My mind was blown. I, two seconds ago, was watching a documentary on ayahuasca. The casting call said nothing about ayahuasca. And here it is in front of me. They needed promotional footage for their ayahuasca retreat center. So I was like, holy crap. I don't know how I'm going to make this happen, but... One day, I'm going to go to the center, and I'm going to do ayahuasca, and I'm going to release all the trauma and just do all the things. So um, then I had this crazy idea, and I thought, why don't I just email the center directly and tell them why I'm the perfect person to be their spokesperson? So I write out this huge email, and that night, I lay in bed, and I was manifesting the crap out of this. I was just picturing myself on an airplane, seeing what it looks like to fly in to Peru with the jungle, the trees, and just thinking like, okay, I'm going to be there. I I, I have to make this happen. I was so broke. I had no money to go, and there were like $1,500 retreats, not including flights. So the next day, I get a phone call from casting, and they said, hey, got your email. It was a little forward don't know how I feel about you reaching out to the owner of the center, but he wants me to meet with you. And I was like, great. (laughs) So I'm like screaming in the gym where I got the phone call. So I, um, I meet with him the next day and four days later, I was on a plane to Peru. This experience changed my life. It opened my eyes in so many ways. It, it literally cracked me open And just to give you some context, when I went there, I had never done any mind-altering substance. Not alcohol, weed, tobacco, I mean coffee, (laughs) if you can call that a mind-altering substance. Um, And here I was on a three-week ayahuasca retreat doing seven ayahuasca ceremonies, uh, one sapo slash bufo ceremony, San Pedro ceremony, combo, I was high as a kite for three weeks. (laughs) But it wasn't just a fun, crazy experience. It was hard, and it was deep, and it was, oh, I purged, I purged my deep traumas, I purged my limited beliefs, I realized that I'm a warrior, that my body is not this thing that I'm supposed to make perfect. My body is a vessel for me to come and experience this life, to try new things, to be adventurous, to help other people. And it was such an incredible experience to know that my body was not broken because of my trauma. And in fact, my trauma was not who I was. My trauma was something that happened to me. And it was something that I can move through and push through. And I was even told to write a book in that ceremony. Uh, The guiding spirit, who people call Mother Ayahuasca or Grandmother Ayahuasca, told me, you're going to write a book and you're going to help people. And I said, I think you're crazy. (laughs) 
but I am writing a book and here I am uh, doing a podcast about it as well. So never say never, I guess, and always be open to possibilities. And when I got home, I realized, wow, I'm, I'm becoming a different person. I ended up changing my last name into something that was more empowering. Uh, we can talk about that more later. But I really came into myself. I became conscious. I became an active participant in my life. I became independent. I became a force, even bigger force than I was before. And it's been so exciting to watch my life unfold the way I feel it was supposed to all along. All because I made the conscious decision to be present, to question my surroundings, and to take action when necessary. So that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. I want to bring on experts in the field. I want to bring on expert psychologists and therapists and energy workers and healers. I want to bring on other survivors from other cults. How did they get through it? What's their story? I essentially want to inspire. I want to promote being conscious, um, being the the star of your story and writing your own story and knowing that you hold all the answers within you you hold all of the power it's just a matter of taking back that power so i can't wait for you to join me i can't wait for you to um, hear all these incredible stories and until next time follow your highest excitement be conscious and be well Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with their visibility. You can also find me on social media at cults to consciousness or reach out by email at cults to consciousness at gmail.com.